Um, all right. Well, uh, are you? You can hear me clearly. I am recording here. Yeah, I hear you great. We're gonna gavel this to order, Douglas Perkins. Um, Duggo, you have been uh, a colleague of mine. I would say a friend. We'll we'll we'll, we'll sub the word upgrading to friends. Right. Yeah, you're up the ladder one one rung from colleague to to friend. Um, and you've been on the podcast several times, and the listeners have gone crazy every time you have. So that's why I wanted to have you back. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> we were texting a little bit, um, and I, and I just was like sort of lamenting a little bit about the past year and trying to think about like, you were on the Corona, you were like one of the first guests on the Corona cast, like right when the pandemic happened and we've sort of touched base since. And I kind of, am a little tired of lamenting over what happened last year, even though it feels good to, but I want to f- see if we can keep this focused on like, what are we keeping from this past year? What was good? And like. What are we just going to cleave and let fall away because it wasn't so good and then look forward to the future a bit? Um, there's not really a question there. It's more of a sort of like prompt on the board. Framing it. We're framing it. To do our, eight, our ninth grade English essay test, you know, like what is why? Um, so with that said, Doug, what do you where, where's your head been? How have you been? What are your what have you been thinking? Uh, I'm good. It's so good to see you. Likewise. And um, I'm terrified to go back. Someday I'll go back and listen to what the hell we said on that Corona cast. I can't imagine. I feel like I had a wait and see attitude, but I was also speaking in weeks or months and not years. Uh, so my naivete. I want to. I just want to go back. One to see my naivete, and also to see like what it tells me about my personality. Because I'm definitely a person who's like, we're not going to have the full panic now. We're only going to panic about today's problem. So even if it looks like tomorrow there's going to be a tornado, let's just talk about today. And if there's a tornado, then we'll talk about the tornado. So I'm curious to see, like, someday I'm in no hurry to see how my how we dealt with well, looking what, forward then. Well, it's interesting. I'm interesting to sort of do the autopsy here on our personalities because you and I are – well, we're obviously different people and we we don't – we're not actually the exact same person even though, like, our colleagues say that we are. I think in terms of our shit giving and the way that we sort of like rib the people we love, I think that's that's spot on. But um, uh, and tell me if I'm misdiagnosing anything here. But I've you've always struck me as somebody who like you plan big projects, you plan outdoor projects, things that can go wrong at any moment, but actually rely on a long amount of preparation and logistical pr- things where you're you're thinking oftentimes a year out, like is when you have to start planning for something, sending emails to get a hundred drummers in, in a field somewhere in Iowa or whatever. But the pandemic sort of forced us both to be like, you just can't even, you can't even operate that way. Like that's not even possible to think a year out of like, Oh, we're going to plan a show. Like as soon the pandemic happened, it's not like so sat down. It was like, all right, what are we going to do at Carnegie in December? Like Carnegie wasn't even like, didn't know what they were doing. And so like, did that cross your mind? What was, what was, what was that like for you being somebody who plans out so far in advance and all of a sudden having this like handcuffs stuck on you? Um, I was, there's a number of things that made me really lucky in the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, one of which is that I was moving my, like in hindsight that I was moving my family from Chicago to Michigan in the middle of all of this, mm-hmm. um, which at the, you know, at the time seemed crazy, but it gave us things to, it gave us things to plan. Mm -hmm. So for the first, you know, we were moving in July. So I had to pack boxes. I had to like work out Jacob's schooling. I had to get him cool that we had to like 
what color are we going to paint the bedroom? You know, like we had decisions to make. So we could, so there were always decisions to make on any given day. Mm -hmm. And then after we got here, um, where's my groceries come from? Where Mm -hmm. Jacob has a bubble tea habit. How are we going (laughs) to solve that? You know, like, so like I I was kind of, we had a lot of small novelties Mm -hmm. through changing our, through having an upheaval of our lives, but that had to happen. Um, so in that way, I'm like really grateful that we had some pretty big things. So it wasn't until almost Christmas that we felt settled here. I mean, it was weird. It was weird. It's weird. It's all weird. It's still weird. But you know, like, it, so I like that was that gave me things to plan. And then luckily, thank God for also my my teaching work this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was exhausting and crazy, but I had to plan for other people. And I sort of had to play, you know, again, going to like my role. I feel like the last year has been a reflection on, on parenting and family. Uh, but, you know, I had to like lead, shepherd these young people here in Michigan mm-hmm. in my office as we're talking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just put my stuff aside and was like camp counselor again, going to my summer camp experience. Jacob's teaching summer camp. He's a counselor to summer camp this year. Mm. It's the greatest He's learning so much, but also so much of my existence is from being a summer camp counselor. So it's, like, he's learning things that he's not going to confess to you until he's like 34. And but he's it, like, yeah, I'm really sorry. <laughs> but even so much, like yesterday, he's like, this, this kid, he had his shirt on backwards. He didn't know how he did it. He couldn't get it back. I tried to get, you know, he's like, so I got his one arm in and then he had a panic attack until I got his other arm in and then he just walked away. <laughs> he's like, kids. It's like, I know. People. But so anyhow, like, uh, it was just... So having to plan for other people, you mm-hmm. know, I knew that people – I felt a real responsibility to, like, the people here having to have a sense of normalcy. So, like, let's make everything – let's make the trains run on time. Mm-hmm. We're going to start and stop things on time. We're going to do exactly the number of percussion concerts we're supposed to do, you know, so that we all had a reason to get up. We could rely on what was going to happen at 1230 and what would happen at 130. So, like right, – right, right. Structure. Um, there so, was structure in chaos. I was, yeah. So I was swimming in structure. There was, you know, I had all the normal panic attacks, but I was actually really lucky to swim. I think I'm, and so, so as I move through, I'm having maybe, well, who's, who's to say what you're thinking, but I'm having a very different thing of having to like, now that I've sort of done that thing. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. I'm not sure. The two problems I'm dealing with now is like how to be, how, what does it mean to be creative? What do I do? Do I want to be creative how I used to be creative? Mm -hmm. And also, what does it mean to feel normal? Mm -hmm. Um, As I think I mentioned to you, like I'd been for the last two weeks traveling again, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I've, I've, it's a bad, it's a bad analogy, but like, I, I was reminded at the end of the last couple of weeks, like, you know, when alcoholics say they can't just have a sip of alcohol, they mm-hmm. got to like rock out. So like for two weeks, I didn't sleep in the same bed for two days. And I was like, yeah, let's go. And like, I kept finding reasons to add another trip onto a trip and plan mm-hmm. another trip. Mm-hmm. And like, I was looking through my phone the other day and was like, oh my God. But I realized, then I realized what I was running from was that the idea of sitting at home felt like the pandemic. Mm -hmm. 
you know, like in normal times, I I love a good couch sit, Josh. I bet you do too. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, oh yeah, bro. It's... But I like I all of a sudden was like, go go. What town today? Could we go there tomorrow? Maybe I could drive back there. Maybe I could do that in one day. You know, like just wanting to like. And I was like, oh no, I have a I have not come to grips with. Yeah. What my life balance should look like. Well, it's, I mean, that's, that's something I want to, I wrote down hustle mentality here. I want to, I want to like, I want to touch on that at some point because this idea of like what it should like look like is like the, I like the sort of like, well, this is what it should be, but then there's the reality of what it takes to actually get there. And, and as you were talking, you know, the thing you had some, uh, extrinsic structures put on you, which was like looking for housing, things that weren't like, you didn't have to intrinsically motivate yourself to do like working out. <laughs> You know, like nobody's, nobody's going to come and force you to work out, but somebody is going to come and force you to pay your mortgage. <laughs> I don't mind if I do. Um, <laughs> but, um, the looking back for me, I, I think I thought I was somebody who was an extrinsic or an intrinsically motivated person to put structure on myself naturally. Like meaning like, oh, the pandemic's going to come. So like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I know how to, I mean, we did those flower pot conversations where it's like, Hey, you just, you just start, you just do a thing. And it's like, for me, I, I realized after a year now, it's like, Oh wow. The only thing that kept me afloat was the doing a podcast. Like, because the, the, for me, the incredible sense of like solitude is something I don't, I need people around me. Like, I need Adam there to make fun of. I need Eric there to make fun of. I need Jason there to make fun of. Like, like those, that, that for me, those personal, the people around me were my structure. And that's what dictated my sort of motivation was like, Oh, cool. Like I get, I'm in this structure of people. And so like, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. That's where I knew how to operate. This, this idea that like history is made in days. Like, I don't think I realized that, you you add up these Zoom sessions for this last year. I was on Zoom a month. Oof, one month. I mean, that's NYU teaching. That's Princeton. That's so so meetings and it's you know pod, podcast. That's my own fault. I I brought that on myself. But one twelfth of my year was spent in this chair. And so like when you talk about like, when I do this thing called meeping, Stephanie calls it meeping. Like, I just got to go, like, since June, I would go to a bar in town, like, breaking all of the CDC recommendations, all of it, just because I could not be at home by myself. Couldn't do it. Yeah, I guess it had to be hard for you with so, like, you guys just had to get good at chilling. You couldn't, you couldn't zoom, you couldn't make a whiteboard full of ideas and get out of the pandemic. No. You'd only be, like, pissed off that you're impatient. Well, and this is the thing I want to ask you about, like, what do we cleave and what do we what do we keep and what do we, what do we get rid of? Like, and how that dovetails in with creativity. Like, I think I was okay with the idea of like, all right, I'm going to get good at, cause we all had a gun held to our head. I'm going to get good at remote collaboration. I don't, I mean, I play with a click track more than your standard musician just by being in. So, but like, eh, we didn't actually do remote collaborations ever. <laughs> so I was like, okay, let's see if we can get good at it. And we, we, we basically kept it simple for a year. But then it was like, okay, I have to do that with NYU and I have to do that with Princeton. And just like that grind really made me hate it. Yeah. I don't want to do it. Like I don't, I actually, I think it was a means to an end, but I think if I had my choice, 
uh, equity and access to two things excluded, no more Zoom in educational settings. Not going to do it. Right. Like, I don't, I don't care if there's a kid on fire who's in a hospital bed and can't come to – like, I'm sorry. You're just, it's not worth your time. Sit in a hospital bed and watch, you know, Bravo TV. It's going to be better for you than staring at a screen that you're not actively participating in. Um, anyway, that's just my, my thoughts on that. But, like, for you, is there – is that resonating with you at all? Oh, yeah. I'm, I have one more – we're doing an online thing here. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm zooming my way through the summer, mm-hmm. but definitely trying to make them as low impact as possible because I think, yeah, and I just can't wait to get off, off of Zoom in that way. And an interesting, the, um, did you call it equity and access? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, when I, I'm having, I think that's like where my biggest existential crisis lies now. Um, and we've, we've talked about this a little bit, but what what that means for people like us um how, how do you mean in some ways i don't when i when i start to think about increasing access to the, the music we make i don't think it's having esoteric conversations with me on zoom about john cage like you know um i've found myself really drawn you know it's and it's just helping young people i think it's like so I've one of the one of the best things I did all year, like by a mile, was I bought a hundred pair of drumsticks for a bucket drum group in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, like giving giving however many kids their first pair of drumsticks so that they can go beat on a be in a bucket drum band with their friends and get get access to music education. Mm-hmm. Um, one was like just re- from rewarding to know, you know, yeah, giving giving a kid a chance to make their first noises. One oddly way more satisfying than refining someone's third variation of <laughs> one of the Vignal variations. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I know um, what you're saying, yeah, yeah. The the impact might be felt for longer, more generations in that in the in the former than the latter. <laughs> yeah, so I so I I'm finding myself more and more. Um, obsessed with how to contribute at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have, and I'm, I'm, you know, four baby steps in like to like looking around and, you know, like what I did was like the easiest and dumbest thing possible. But like, man, when I saw those kids holding those drumsticks, I was fired up in ways that I haven't been fired up in years. I think there's a, there's a, uh, what do they call that? The um, bystander, phenomenon or whatever i think there's a bystander phenomenon when it comes to the dumb and easy things i think everybody thinks everybody else is doing the dumb and easy things and so no one does the dumb and easy things <laughs> which is like you know seeing an opportunity and being like well this will cost me 113 dollars <laughs> or whatever it is you know and i'm and then and it's not you don't have to walk around being like i've changed their lives but you might have changed four of those kids lives and is that worth 113 dollars to you like like maybe and just do it that's my point is like the dumb and easy things need to be done more often than i think the highfalutin things yeah so it's like i don't know so it has me fired up of like okay well i can do i can clearly do better than what i just did Mm -hmm. but that was pretty awesome so let's so i'm finding myself my brain is going 
to the dumb and easy things or like what do people and it's hard it's hard to say like i do that's one thing but i don't want to negate what i'm doing here like i i do think you know i'm working with future future leaders of of music and in all different ways whether that's being educators in their local towns or mm-hmm. going off and you know winning competitions and and having a voice for the music cuz i still believe that us doing hard music I still believe in hard music. Yeah. I believe that it, 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 it has a different impact and it's a gift that I have. So as I've told you before, like the <laughs> dumb Catholic priest when I was like 17 was like, God gave you a gift and it's this weird stuff. So do it. It's <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so I'll, still yeah. keep, I'll keep doing it till I don't. But like, yeah. um, but, but definitely like when I think about, should I, should I put more energy into giving out free Zoom lessons about Alejandro Vignal. I don't even like Alejandro Vignal's music. I do. It's fine. I'm talking about him more than I think about him right now. Yeah. Um, but uh, when I think about putting access more into that or more into like, what does my community need? Mm. Or what do young people need? I'm um, spending, right for now, I'm spending more time there. But I also like don't want to practice. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think it's okay. I mean, one of the things, too, uh, just to agree with you that uh, in terms of the, like, it's the tend the garden you can touch sort of stuff. It's some Buddhist phrase, I think, that Stephanie Stephanie told me about from one of her classes. And I, and it really stick, sticks with me in, a, in my craw in a, in a good way of, like, yeah, sometimes you're sometimes you're going to be Stradivarius, like the teacher and like, you're like, yeah, no, 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 no. Like the, we need this file and this thing. And then you do this for four hours very slowly. And that's how the acoustics, I trust me, like you got to do that. But then sometimes you have to teach somebody like, this is how you plant the tree. That's going to grow the wood that we're going to use in 20 years. Like, and it's going to be boring. It's going to be easy. And you know, just do this, you know, and sometimes that's important as a teacher. And the older I get, the more I feel responsibility to do that. Um, but for me, the access thing is like a student from Trinidad, you know, like, and I, that's like for person, person that personally I have a connection there. And it's just like, if there's a kid from Trinidad who wants to study at NYU, but for whatever reasons can't, uh, can't come, whether it be COVID or finances or whatever, like that's where my ethics sort of bump up against where my emotions are right now with, with zoom. Um, but um, this, I, I, yeah, I digress. There's not. Well, yeah, no, it's fine. I mean, I, and I think it's like anyone that listening to this, we should, I, you know, I, I love talking about, we just have to de- define our communities and we mm-hmm. define them differently yeah. and we're moved by different communities. And yeah. as long as we're serving them to the best of our ability. Well, that's the other thing. Don't. Sorry. That's, that's the other thing too, that this pandemic has actually um, sort of like amplified for me is the like, oh yeah, we are a collection of thousands of different communities that all have morally relativistic views on everything, you know, and how those function, how those communities function in and of themselves is important, but then how they function with everybody else is also important. And this past year has really felt like, Oh, wow. It really turns out. I think there's some crazy people in my community. I didn't realize that. (laughs) And maybe this other community that I wasn't, maybe I want to be over in that one more because they just, for whatever reasons, they see things a little more nuanced or 
whatever. I just like the, the death of nuance this year, I think was really, really kind of, uh, that was something that, that I thought about a lot was like, Oh wow, you, you can't, whether it be with students, at least in my experience, whether it be with students or whether it be with a total stranger on Facebook, there's just no way to drill any deeper than an inch. Otherwise you're going to be lit on fire by some community that you have no relationship to, (laughs) you know? And, um, I'm not quite sure how to handle that moving forward. I think I have a little bit of anxiety of like bumping into some of the people that I that I'm terrified by on Facebook. I'm terrified to bump into them in the green room <laughs> and oh, not man. know what to say, you know? And that's a, that's a weird, I didn't have that feeling before. Yeah. I'm really curious to see what the next year looks like with, with everybody. I mean, everybody, it was just such a shitty year yeah. and especially for, you know, and and a number of our, uh, you know, speaking from my my algorithms, um, you know, musicians had a shit year. I mean, everybody had a shit year, but like people who barely had money had no money and mm-hmm. lots of time. And I think sometimes our fields, you know, some people have need better access to mental health sometimes. Also. Um, well, I think, um, like, so yeah, like I mean, any I number to... of reasons for people to freak out on Facebook, valid, invalid, or I think my capacity, well, and maybe this is coming to my, like my capacity for empathy is anytime I see somebody freaking out on Facebook, I think like, are you okay? How's your family? How are you doing? Are you paying, is your, are your lights on? Uh, mm-hmm. I just, I've just been trying, I just try to go to that place as hard as possible. Um, It's, it's hard because like, I, I mean, I have visceral reactions to things and I'm trying to figure out like what are, I was in a, I was in a fortunate position this pandemic too, that I had employment, um, that I did feel guilty about having, but then I think the more I thought about it, and again, this is where my sort of, uh, the more moderate to right-leaning personality inside of me is the like this is proof of why why you need to be the squirrel sticking nuts away all day and just like be thinking and planning and working and hustling and grinding and like because you never know like you never know where when you stick nuts away like when you might need them and I'm all last year all I did was see Eric Chabich pull out nuts that we had put away five years ago, myself included. Like, I was just like, Oh man, I'm really glad I stuck this here seven years ago <laughs> for yeah, no reason you're... other than I was like, well, I don't know, something might happen. You know, there might be another financial crisis, you know, which was only like $700 billion at the time and lasted like a couple months of real genuine fear. And you know, this is like, you might die. And I, so th- in a way I felt a little bit like, Okay, I did good. I did no, good. you did great. They, did they, great. I mean, what a gift that the band is still. And I don't. And jobs I are still there. Trying not to feel bad about it, but then also trying to look at friends of mine, students of mine, colleagues of mine who are in a wholly different situation, and not just attribute it to like some mental health issue. But it's like, if I'm having drastic mental health issues, and I'm secure. Oh yeah. Then 
I, man, this last year was just a real pinch point for a lot of people. And so I, anyway, I'm just, I'm trying to identify the, like the fear I have of people just because I saw them on social media, like that's not real and it's not appropriate and not fair to necessarily judge somebody by that. I just, my hope is that when we get in person, I receive the same sort of deference <laughs> of like, Hey, yeah, well, hopefully cool. they're this... freaking out on like everybody and they're right, right. like, Oh, was I mean to you? I don't know. Well, let me let me ask you um, before, and I know I asked you to have a question prepared for me, just because it's more fun when somebody brings something. But I want to ask you about this: the the term hustle mentality and like hustle culture has come up a lot on social media, or just in terms of like people being like, oh, "I don't want to practice twelve hours a day. I think that's the old way," and I or I don't want to have to take every gig, and why should I play for free, and all of those things. Um, and I got asked by a former student of mine, Owen Davis, on a podcast the other day about it. And he was just like, what do you have to say about that? And I was like, I mean, I would, you're asking a guy who is in a position he's in with relatively weak hands and not a whole lot of natural ability to, to claim that he didn't grind it out for 20 years. Oh, and I grinded it out. I practiced eight hours a day. I was at the studio at Yale for 12 hours a day, there before everybody got there and left after everybody else left. I took a shitload of gigs for free. I played for tips, Owen. You ever played for tips? I played for tips for years. Like, so Was Owen trying to make the case? I, I, mean, I, I think, think, Owen, there's a, I think there, Owen grinds, doesn't he? Well, I don't know. Maybe. maybe. But like, I think the, the case is, I think, that like the, the mode of operation, the respect, like – pay equity, all of those things are getting wrapped up, which I understand and I'm supportive of. I think if you're playing a gig at Carnegie Hall or whatever, you should be paid appropriately. I say that having underpaid you, my friend, a million times to play with some percussion, but um, I think it gets conflated with the process. It's like complaining that you don't make money weightlifting, but you don't actually practice any of the weightlifting. You only just go to the competition. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, yeah, yeah, I've played Carnegie Hall, you know, five, six times, and I've played 700 other shows prior to that, which made the one, the one at Carnegie Hall as good as it was because I had 700 other at-bats. That's what you're missing. And I don't know how to, like, where where am I off base? What have you, are, are you reassessing any of your hustle approach? Because you, you you're a hustler, Doug. And so, uh, and you found yeah. it so, and that that took some hustle. So now you go convinced. I convinced all of so to work for less money than they deserve. <laughs> the ultimate hu- in perpetuity, the, the goat of all hustlers. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's a great it's a great question. I think for what we do, I think you just have. I th- I'm I'm still a defender of hustling, mm-hmm. um, and just or just not what. Let me reframe it. That's what I do. Um, I think we're really lucky to get to do this. You know, like we're in our offices of like, I'm you know, I'm sitting next to like all these toys, which like, you know, 12 year old me, 18 year old, 22 year old me is like, wait, there's like a room, a soundproof <laughs> room full of like whatever I want to put in it, you know, like. Mm-hmm. You're sitting behind your steel drums. We get to travel all over the place. Like, we're really lucky. We mm. do a stupid thing. We're getting away with life to do this thing. And I think the I think the price we pay is that we pay we paid in uncertainty. Mm. We, I think we continue to pay. 
me less so. I mean, I'm, I'm really lucky where I am right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we, years of uncertainty, like, is this going to happen? Is this, and even at a smaller level, you know, like, yeah, what, you know, like, so is like three years of bookings away from irrelevance. It's not like, it's, it's not, you know, I, I know that's not true, but I know that that's probably what you feel in your stomach of you're like, well, I don't know. Last gig we got on the books is well, it's June just, 2025. It's, and then, a, I don't know, maybe that's it. <laughs> it's a symptom of the reality of the market. I mean, like this, like to say that like, so percussion hit a point where the market then was just being proactive about hiring us all the time. And we never had to do anything because we made it like that's no, if, if Jason Truding stopped making phone calls, so percussion would disappear in a, about a year and a year and three quarters. Yeah. And that's just the truth. So, and and so people need to like understand that that's, that's real. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's you. That's Colin Curry. That's Evelyn Glenny. That's, mm-hmm. You know, anybody out there trying to do it is fight is in this feeling. Um, so I feel and and then also like even I, you know, based on my career, I come up against a lot of people that are like, I want to have my own group or yeah. I want to teach at college. And like both of them are devil's bargains. Like, um, again, I keep saying like Michigan is great. I I have no complaints with what's happening right now, but like, you know, even my job at Boston Conservatory, which looked cool, was like a weird part-time gig that was like tenuous and I was Mm -hmm. flying from Chicago to do it. And it's like, it's been a series of like, you know, so, and I'm not mad at it. I think it's awesome. And Nancy Zeltzman is going to teach here next year as a guest artist. Like Nancy is going to fly here now. We're, we're reversing the flow. Um, but like, uh, so I think we have to, but it's also the conversation I have sometimes. And I've, I've had this with students recently who some of them are like getting their first college teaching things, adjuncting and stuff. And, um, I think having the, like, but I thought my first teaching job would come with like a welcoming committee and all kind of certainty and tons of money. And it's like, it's not that. It's like, no, you, there are a million jobs you could get that are better paying than this one. There are a million jobs that pay better than being in soap percussion. There, you know, like, but we make the choice to do this thing because it's cool. So I guess that's where, like, we should all fight to raise the boat so that we all get paid really well. But that's, like, not for no malice other than like there isn't really a market for what we do. We're all doing a really dumb thing. Mm-hmm. So, so I feel like if you're somebody who's uncomfortable working for less than you feel that you're worth, or you don't want to practice on spec, you don't have to, but you might, you might not. Well, the thing that it's hard to quantify for students and I can, and again, why like, I have to be careful using my own experience just because it's anecdotal and maybe not a definitely not applicable to everybody because I'm a weirdo. But like the thing you get, like I, I had a, a friend of mine in undergrad, uh, Jeff Babinski, who talked about the three P's, the people to pay in the project. And if nice. two, two of the three of those are met, you should take the gig no matter what. So if the people are great and the pay is great, it doesn't matter what music you're playing. If the music is great and the people are great it doesn't matter what you're getting paid 
But if the people are great and the music's terrible and the pay's terrible, meet them at the bar after the gig. Take a nap. <laughs> Read a book. Like, and, and in, because sometimes what you gain by playing good music with good people and not getting paid well is a relationship that you can lean on when there's a pandemic five years later. You know, all of the gigs I played, every single one, from the ones that paid well to the ones that were playing for tips outside of Angel Falls Coffee Shop, are people I still connect with today at 41 years old. And I've earned more money and more currency from those relationships than I would have earned had I gotten paid what my appropriate fee was initially. And that's sometimes that's a that's a that's a roll of the dice that you don't know if it's going to come up snake eyes or if you're going to get you know if you're going to hit hit the jackpot. But like, I for me it worked. And I yeah. just and it's it's a tr- I think everybody needs to think. I think prioritizing relationships. I mean, I, I would say so percussion. This is something that I I was glib about you being a hustler up front. But if you're a hustler and you you have you guys always prioritize relationships. Every time I walked in the room, it was just like. The first, anytime Dan Truman walks in the room, it's like, yeah, dad, like everything was about the moment with the person, whether you were with Steve Reich or David Lang or, or whoever. And that has carried through to today. And I feel like a lot of people don't really believe that that's important. And I, I'm kind of bummed about, bummed about it a little bit, you know? And I, I think it comes to also having trust with who you're working with. Yeah. Like the coffee shop, I think you could feel pretty certain that that coffee shop wasn't making a million dollars off of your efforts. Mm-hmm. You're like, no, this seems pretty right. You're selling coffee, but you're letting me play and I'm getting practice. This seems, this seems right. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you joking about the times that you've underpaid me to play with. So like, you know, I also know that you weren't, you know, buying 10 new uh, hats with a C on them off of the gigs. That <laughs> Not you, with you my know, profits like, from those gigs, Doug. That's yeah, like I knew, I knew, you know, I know like you're trying your best and you're like, you know, so I think, I think if you can trust people and there's an honesty about it, I think that's the, that's how I feel okay in, you know, in any of those situations. So I, mm-hmm. that, but I feel like, you know, as a, as a young person, I think, you know, or it's like um, thinking about how, it's it's dumb to talk on a podcast about this stand-up comedy. It feels cliche, but like, you know, there are people running around telling jokes for no money because it's their practice room. And I think, uh, I think similarly in music, like when taking, you know, and I was, I like to talk when I give talks about like my time after I left. So where I was taking any gig I could, because mm-hmm. I was just like, I don't know, what do I like about music? So let me play with you good you know it's like dating like this was good this was bad and finding out like what i liked and didn't like and then mm-hmm. and i also talked to students about like so just take any gig at first and then yeah and then wind it down be like i only want to play the music i want to play or i want to play better paying gigs and so you start saying no until your stock starts falling again then you start saying yes more and then you keep saying you know and then eventually hopefully you'll end up where you want to be yeah, I mean, you don't learn how to say yes and no unless you say yes and no a lot. And I mean, again, like you, 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 you talk. I talk. You, one of the things that has stuck with me from you, Doug, is just the word, the term at bat. And it's like you don't know how it feels to hit a home run into, unless you've connected squarely with a ball. And bro, I've hit a home run twice out of my entire life. Was so where like we walk off stage and it's like, did you guys feel that? We hit that one right over center field. 
But, you know, most days are bunts and singles and you're just making it. You got, yeah, I got a runner in. Like, <laughs> I got an RBI. And sometimes you swing and you foul it off and you have to figure out how to, like, you drop the ball. Like, you don't know how to do that until you do it. And I just, like, and, and unless, I think maybe if there was, a like, a structured laboratory setting where, like, Carnegie Hall had a separate uh, organization that was just, like, we're gonna we're gonna hire a fake audience. We're gonna and every day at one, three, five, and seven, we're you can come in and you can practice giving concerts. And there's just random people sitting there eating hot dogs, and you can come in and play in front of them, and they'll clap, and you can walk off. And it's a lab, but that doesn't exist. <laughs> or maybe it does. It's called the Stone, and like right, yeah, you know. And you have to you have because unfortunately Carnegie Hall's not gonna let you play there if you've never played anywhere else. Like that's. You know, like you're not going to play with the Chicago Bears if you've never played Pee Wee football. Like, there's just a like, there is a way to that that vibe. Um, but even as I'm saying it, it sort of implies there's some gatekeeper. I don't know. Don't go. Yeah. Anyhow, blah 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 blah. Um, well, I want I want to leave a little bit of time here for if you um for an AMA with me, Doug. Oh, um, um, I, well, I want to say two more things. Please do. Yes. Sorry. Because of my travels last week. Your mic died, buddy. It's back. There it is. Got it. Um, uh, one, I, I played at Interlochen last week. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Keith had me, up, Keith Aleo had me up to do their um, high school thing. And we played a, we played a recital. Who did? Uh, like every night was a different recital. So the, I played one that was like <clears throat> me. I played some solo stuff. Keith and I played a duo. Keith played a solo. Uh, Reed, my student, played a solo. Mm-hmm. But like speaking of at bats, like getting up and playing solo music in front of people after eighteen months or whatever of playing with click tracks and being able to edit yourself <laughs> before it goes out. <laughs> it was like. It was and oh and then yeah and then stupid Jihei shows shows up. I thought she was coming the day later, so I was playing a marimba solo and then stupid Jihei Jung walks into my um, <laughs> master class and I'm like oh shit, <laughs> I have to play for you. It was fine, but it was like it was so wonderful. Like and of course she's like the nicest. So like yeah, it was it was great. But like just like there was a moment a week before I was like I'm not in fighting shape. I've like thought I was you know I was like going out jogging a little bit every morning and was like oh my god. Um, but so just so like it went it went well it went very you know it went it went well but like oh my god what a gift and speaking of getting it back like Good. being back I'm sure you you've had that in the last when you so got back on stage but like well I think the solo the playing joy is the fear the like exhilaration um, and even like the cute fear of like having the feeling seeing Jihei walk in going like. You know, like I was so grateful to be like freaked out that like one of my colleagues, one of my peers was here to see the show. Yeah, yeah. It was like so safe and like great and terrifying. And I'm like, I feel I I feel a little bit connected to my instruments again. Well, I think I had less fear. Playing with three other folks is way exponentially less scary than playing by yourself. And so I think I think I had anxieties, but it was like the first show back in front of people was at Adelphi. Although it was it was recorded and streamed live, so there was like the only people in the audience were like the film crew, but we were on a stage and it was like this is crazy, and we'd be like boom, and we would end, and everybody would just no one would clap, 
Because they were on the screen. Yeah, yeah, and it was a little bit like we would break and then they'd be like five seconds and we'd move to the next thing. And we, we at one point we were just like, hey, camera folks, can you – wouldn't you mind just clapping even if you don't like what we did just because it really feels terrible. <laughs> so like we would get done and it would be like three people. <laughs> but it was like, oh, thank God. Felt so much better. Um, yeah, and then uh, – anyhow, so that was a gift and then – I, as as you probably know, some people, my good friends know, I'm I'm uh, an outsized Indigo Girls fan. <laughs> yeah. So, um, on a sad moment, like when things were looking dark and we needed something to look forward to, uh, my friend Kate Sharon and I schemed. We found that the Indigo Girls were playing at a golf course in New Jersey. So we bought tickets, and last week I flew to New Jersey to see the Indigo Girls. Yeah, you did. And it was unbelievable. I don't doubt like, it. Um, and again, like, I'm, I'm like unpacking it just to watch. What was fun is it was, it was in this like tent, and it was like definitely set up for, you know, more, more intense COVID time stuff. Mm-hmm. So there was like, I don't know, maybe 500 people um, all at these tables. And then just one to see, like you forget how powerful it is, and them just like being this, you know, these two people that go out and just like sing, mm-hmm. it's like pretty great. But then to watch, to feel the room, like to feel the catharsis of this little tent go through the like, it's okay to have fun again. Mm-hmm. And then um, there was a moment when people just started standing up and dancing, and they all went towards this very large stage, and people were like standing kind of close to each other. And it devolved into like three rows deep of people, maybe. Like it devolved into a bar mitzvah or a, or a wedding mm-hmm. at some point. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievable. Like just just to like be in the room and to see, you know, people singing, people reacting, people crying, people dancing. To like be reminded of um, the one that music is is can do stuff. And bring people together, and to be brought together in that way, um, is uh, was like transformative. And I'm like, yeah, it it freaks me out because definitely would have been different if I was playing a marimba recital. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was so it was unbelievable. I'm so glad that I made my stupid trip to see the Indigo Girls. And but um, but also interestingly, and we could segue this to you a little bit, um, a reminder of the power of the human voice. Um, as a, it's just how much humans need, how much humans react to the human voice. So I I say that in freaking out about your record with Caroline that just came Mm -hmm, out. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like it, as I think I mentioned to you, um, it's, it's an unbelievable record. It's so good for, for any number of reasons, but then also like Caroline's like, in some ways, like her voice is so perfect in so many ways that it's mm-hmm. like it's really good and has craft, but is also so pure and natural and like, um, yeah. Well, congrats, I guess well, first, thanks. but like, are you, you get, maybe you'll, maybe you need to never go back to just being percussionist records again. <laughs> well, the uh, was that your question, Doug, or was that? Uh... Well, yeah. Can Caroline join full time? Can she take over the band? <laughs> Well, I posted last night um, 
that uh, something about uh, the the ABBA cover, "Lay All Your Love," um, and I said Caroline's like a like a human jet engine. It's just like when she opens her mouth, the you just don't expect what. It's not even necessarily the quality or the crispness. It's just like the volume that she can unleash is nuts. And, uh, you know, I texted you a little bit about the backstory of that album. And this is the thing that just like when we talk about creativity and how things, what a, you know, the hustle mentality, I'm sort of like now going to put out a counter to that, which is sometimes you just should should just do something and not stress about it, not do it once and then leave it because that the album, like we, we went up to Guilford sound to record uh, taxidermy in narrow sea. And I think while we were there, there was like, we had an hour or something. And so Caroline had this other piece called other song um, or find the line, I think is maybe the title of it now, but um, so we just like messed around with it and recorded it. And we were just like, Whoa, that, that was really cool. And so then we came into the studio later, like a couple months later, with nothing, purposefully. Like, there were some sketches, like Caroline's like, oh, here's some chord changes, this, we can try this. Jason had a sketch, and we kind of just wrote the whole thing in the studio in like three or four days. And, like, I don't know, like, it, it's unlike any other album that So's recorded, where there's just, like, years of touring a piece like It Is Time or Not Airman or Poli or something. And, like, um, I don't know, it... it Sometimes you just land on something and you trust the process. And this particular process, all the duos like um, Let the Soil, the ABBA one was a duo originally, just with Caroline and Sly, were all we had, we put in a one hour limitations on every one where you had an hour in the studio, whatever's done after an hour is what's done. And so, like, I don't know. Not that we would do that with every album and not that you should do that with every album, but the opportunity presented itself. And I think we're like, we really, again, like this is relationships though. I mean, when we talk about planting seeds and not knowing where they're going to land, like nobody made money. It's not like we paid ourselves. We lost money recording that album. Like we weren't paid to make that album. Like we invested in it because of the relationship with Caroline that we've had since grad school where we were playing in New music, New Haven together. And like, you know, we were all hustling for gigs and stuff. And now years later, it's sort of the relationship has gestated to the point that it is now. Um, in a really great way. Yeah, and maybe really pumped. Maybe about that's it. maybe that's what I hear in the record. It's like <clears throat> there's so many of our friends that are trying to make records that sound like that or have like mm. that kind of connection or like crossover effect, but it's so up its own classical music its ass. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're like, ugh, this is disgusting. There's something there's something about hearing that record that feels really like you can. I feel like I can hear the organicism of it. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it's just such a, such a treat. And like, so, so I'm glad, I'm glad, you know, certainly to hear you talk about it, that it kind of just, that you kind of got out of your own ways and just like. And again, like that's something just to now to reinforce the grind. Like, I don't think we knew how to get out of our own ways until you were in your own way for a long time. Like we, there's a lot of albums that we've made, like where we live again, I stand by them. There's other projects that we've done that maybe we didn't record like a gun show absolutely in our own way the whole time stand well, maybe by. maybe stand the amid the noise record like and you know as somebody i was the ass they were trying to get out of the way of when they made that record but like you know it was just mm, like mm. jay and sly and lawson fucking around after hours right that sort of made that happen 
Mm-hmm. And I think I think that one also resonates in a way, but yeah. came from a moment of like, I don't know, let's not, I'm done playing basketball today. You want to record some drones? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and and again, like there's other albums I'm really psyched about, like Where We Live, like the music on Where We Live. I'm personally very proud of, but it is a hyper produced album. Like the tracking on it, the the effects, all of it is like really hyper produced in a way that doesn't sort of like squeeze out the organicism of it inherently, but it's just like, it's hidden a lot more like Caroline, you hear her voice go like "Eh," at the end of something. And it's like, yeah, we're not editing that out. That's awesome. (laughs) You know? And well, it's nice that there's so much trust on that record. Like, cause I feel like, you know, Caroline's the kind of person that you could, she could tell me to do just about anything. And I'd be like, okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) You had like such a great team that you're like willing to be open She's a very trusting person in the room. Um, I mean, outside the room too, but she, she was very much, and it, it's not like we never disagreed on things, but like her particular type of confrontation, like her version of the like dissonance in the room was always like, well, like, like, do you mind, can I just try this one thing? And be like, yeah, sure. And then she would do it. And then the jet engine would turn on and you'd be like, well, (laughs) okay, sure. Let's do that. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like the, so the dissonance, the dissonance was always sort of followed by a like real skill set to show what it is that she, her vision behind what it is she was thinking. That's sometimes I don't always have that skill set. I'm like, I think we, we should try this. And then I'm just like, and like, what do you think? And they're like, hmm, let's stick with the original idea, you know. Um, but Caroline, when she would push, I think we all learned it was like, okay, let's trust this because she's there's a bubble of something that's going to blow up here if we let it go. And it was really, really nice to work with her. And, I, and we've, we've joked about like, we should just do that again. Like, let's just go to the studio. But on the other hand, there's a little fear I have of like, yeah, what if it's, what if it's like the, the Freddie Mercury, like solo record after he leaves, you know, queen, like, look what we did. It is like, bro, that's terrible. <laughs> you know? So I don't know, but it, it was a really great process. So, it's interesting. My the well, the one record I recorded at Guilford Sound was mm-hmm. the JLA, the mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. and we ended up only having one take because a rainstorm was coming. And the only reason we got the record is because a rainstorm got stuck behind the mountain just long enough for us to finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something in that record I'm really happy at. Like there's an organicism mm-hmm. that came to like, well, I can round off a couple edges, but this is what we got. And did another record of John's a couple weeks ago that similarly just. Time and money got in the way, so we only had X number of hours. And you get really good at like you can you know you can you can squeeze you can really squeeze that diamond in the studio, or you can say like this is what we got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can make you can make uh, beauty either way. Okay, so for you, um, I guess my the question I was going to just ask you is like, uh, is your ship headed in the right direction right now? Do you feel that you know the or is your ship? Do you think your ship's heading in a good direction right now? Not to ask you a horribly. No, it's fine. That um, yes, I think so. But I will say that that wasn't always the case and isn't always the case every day. And I think I'm I'm of the mindset that like out of thirty days, if twenty of them, I feel like the ship is pointed in the right direction. 
then I have to. Tra- it's like flying. You know, my. Uh, do you have any pilot friends? Eduardo. Eduardo. Yeah. So he like you. F- you fly without. You fly with only your controls, right? You put the thing up, and you've got to fly in the fog, and you got to trust your controls. I trust my controls. Sometimes I feel like I'm upside down, but that's vertigo, and that's not real, you know. And so I have to trust that. So I would say, I would say for me around September, I would say ten out of the thirty days, like at the beginning of the school year, and just sort of staring down that like entire nine month strip. Yeah, that was an intense minute. Oof. That was, it was really, for me personally, privilege aside, that was the thing where like when I would log off Zoom, I would just sit like this for like 15 minutes before I could do anything. And I would say now I would say I'm back to 20 out of 30. And um, I would say both for so, I think there's a lot of uncertainty that so is sort of heading into this new, like, it's nice to feel like we, you know, you hit all those, those nuts over the last 16 years. Yeah, but you know what we did this last year? We ate all those nuts. <laughs> So now I have to go find more goddamn nuts. And those nuts from 2011 were really good. <laughs> I had took a long time. So there's that uncertainty I think is the like is the thing. Um also realizing that this pandemic was like that my entire life up to this point and this sounds like a dark thing but it actually helped me see it positively. Not thinking as this is like oh this is pandemic life. But thinking of my entire life leading up to May of last year, or two years ago, whatever it was, as post-pandemic life, like it was post-1918 life when society blew up. And it took 100 years for all of the, like when we talk about all the structures, the healthcare, all this stuff, like 1918, the Spanish flu hits, 5% of the population gets killed, not 0.0001%. 5% of the population gets killed. Society basically crumbles and falls apart and rebuilds itself slowly over 100 years. And that's what I got to experience. Oddly, that kind of helped me to think of like, I wasn't living in some dream world. It was like I was living in the world. Everything we're a part of, slavery, ended 56,000 days ago. Like you want to talk about why things are the way they are now. It's we're, it's because you think you think on 1860 or 1838 when the British slave trade was ended, it was like the next day. All the slave owners and slave ship guys were just like, well, I guess we can't do that anymore. <laughs> no. <feels> great. <laughs> the plantation opened right back up. And then the next day it opened right back up. Next day it opened right back up. And then the ninth day, a couple of the people on the plantation started being like, aren't we free? And then then all of a sudden, a th- like, and now 56,000 days later, we have George Floyd. It's like this stuff is all connected. And trying to see things in a larger picture as like not a like – uh, a sort of flip of the channel, which is what a year feels like. No, 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 no. It was 365 days of decision after decision after decision to pour the rum and coke and just get through the Zoom session. That, that There's some things that are just, it's important to see and, and to sort of look at as like a series of decisions that you have an active role in. And so uh, for me, yeah, I think I'm, feeling okay about things, but it has not been without its darkness. Did I answer your question, <laughs> Doug? Yeah, sure. No, it's it's good. I Yeah, mostly just checking in. Like, It makes me happy to hear that you're excited to see the So team again. Mm-hmm. And that like, that's an ongoing positive. Right. Um, yeah, for me, the thing, I, the biggest takeaway was people. Like, I, I, made a, I made a decision in June 
when George Floyd actually, or like NMA when he was murdered, like the, the, the stress of everything that was happening online, the way my community was communicating all of it. I was like, I actually think it's better to get COVID and be around a bartender and just chew the fat with a bartender. I don't know. than it is to sit at home and be afraid. I can't do it. And like, because I need, I need to talk to somebody and not a therapist. I just need to go and be like, what do you think about all this crazy race stuff? You know, be the guy at the bar, just chewing the fat and not feel like there has to be any agenda other than the bill. I'm, I have to pay at the end of the, the meeting, you know? And, um, I think that taking out of it, that's when people, when I hear people talk about like, well, I'm not being paid enough. It's like, okay, but what if you're like me? Where if someone told me I could get paid a thousand bucks to play a one hour gig with a total asshole, or I could pay a thousand bucks to play a gig with Doug Perkins. You should story. take the other gig. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write a grant to pay for the gig I'm playing for Doug. But my point is, is like it, at the end, at the end of my life, I, I know now after this year, that will have been a wise choice. Yeah. Despite whatever hardships it brings me now financially. Um, so anyway, take that for what it's worth. But um, when are you come into Toledo, you come into Toledo anytime? Not Toledo, um, Akron. I, I got too excited <laughs> that you'd be that close. Are you coming to Akron anytime? I am actually going to see my mom. We are going to have some Penzo's Pizza, baby girl. Um, July sixth to the ninth. I'm coming home to see my mom and my uncle. Nice. And it's been it's been a hot minute. It's been almost two years since I've been home, and so it'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. Nice. Well, I'm sure you're busy, but if you're not, let me know because I could, you know, I like to travel. I could How come long down. of a drive is it from Ann Arbor to Akron? I think it's like two. Oh, okay. That's nothing. I mean, I commute four or five hours out of pop, so that's nothing, bro. Yeah, yeah that'd be great. So that'd be great. you'll blow me off because you got shit to do, but you know. All right, Doug, I'm <laughs> on Tuesday, next Tuesday. I'm flying into Cleveland. If you'd like to meet me there, I'll fly in around noon on Tuesday. We can meet for lunch. Next Tuesday, the sixth. The sixth. That might be possible. I'll run that by as long as I don't have to pick Jacob up from camp. Well, Dougo, I have to say it's a real treat to see you, my friend. It's great to see you. Yeah, I appreciate you taking Um, the time to do this. Um, Is there any final words before we? (laughs) I've written it down. Any final words before we sign off here? Um, I don't know. Hug, hug the boys. I'm glad you're glad you're mostly in the right direction. I yeah. I still have a ton of shit to figure out. It's like cra- uh, whatever. We can talk forever, and we can we will maybe next Tuesday we could talk. But just like I feel like also my takeaways are like yeah. I feel like I think a lot smaller now. I think mm-hmm. like I'm more aware that your family like you know as you know, family is important. And like every day I wake up next to a wife and that is, you know, that is, that needs tended. You got to tend to your family. Got to tend to my son. I've got this. And every day Lauren wakes up next to you. And that is the worst thing that put yourself in her shoes for two seconds, Doug. So, you know, I try to, I try to use more soap than I used to. Some essential oil spritzers is, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I think hygiene, I've learned about hygiene this year. If if I can't change who I am, I can at least smell better. (laughs) 
I got to at least augment who I am. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I'm, I'm a more humble person than I was. I've got a long way to go, but, um, yeah. Well, anyhow, hug the band. I'm so proud of you guys. The record is a real revelation and thanks, buddy. Um, yeah, I look forward. Yeah. I'll, I'll see if I can see you next week. That'd be like, so great. All right. Well, um, let's text and, um, if we can do it, that would be, that would be superhuman and awesome. I could drive you to your mom's house. We go look at your pictures. Is, you is could, your like baseball card picture still on your wall of your room? Oh yeah. And I don't think she's changed the comforter yet. It's still this little tin soldiers from when I was, which in I, grade. which I slept in. You sure I'll never did. forget it. You sure did. <laughs> All right. Love you, buddy. Thank All right. Love you, you too, this. buddy. Take it easy. All right. See ya. Okay. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Liquid Drum. Liquiddrum.com down in Waco, Texas. Uh, my good friend Todd Meehan runs an amazing percussion company down there. Great merch, great content. Check him out. Liquiddrum.com. Also, Kyle Dunleavy, dunleavypans.com, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y pans.com. Kyle Dunleavy makes and builds all the steel drums that I perform and teach on uh, in so percussion as well as at NYU and Princeton. Uh, he's an amazing, amazing tuner builder, um, just a really nice guy, very dependable. Check him out. If you are interested at all in steel pan advocacy, uh, want to learn more about the goings-on uh, in Pan in Brooklyn, check out paninmotion.com. My good friend Kendall Williams, uh, Jerry Guy, Trisha Guy, and uh, Arisha John run an amazing organization called paninmotion.com. Check them out. And finally, Aleandre Mirage runs an amazing uh, clothing apparel company in Brooklyn that is steel pan-centric. You can check him out at mangochowclothing.com. I own a bunch of his shirts. They're amazing, very stylish, uh, beautiful, beautifully made. Check them out. mangochowclothing.com. Okay, hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Bye.